Welcome to the 62nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball and look at the end of the NBA Finals while also having the latest installment of random, assorted, important news from the world of sports. Let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball starting with the National League East. In the NL East, we have the New York Mets at the top at 50 and 43, also at the top of the headlines for today, actually, and little bit yesterday, not really as important, but they did make a trade, actually, the New York Mets. They have a full starting pitching staff on the IL right now, actually. They have Noah Syndergaard, Jacob deGrom, Carlos Carrasco, David Peterson, and Joey Lucchese, who were actually their starters last season, ironically enough. Um, All of them are on the IL right now. Uh, Of course, Taiwan Walker has stepped up a lot, uh, so they they still have, but they really only have three starting pitchers right now on their roster, a similar position to what the Dodgers had a few weeks ago. Um, And then, so because of that, they trade pitcher, minor league pitcher, Tommy Hunter, and minor league utility man, Matt Dyer, to the Rays for Rich Hill, who is now joining his 11th MLB team in his career, Uh, very well-traveled, especially over the last two years, where he's now been on four teams in two years, I believe. Uh, no, three, three teams in two years, uh, and the Dodgers the year before that. So four teams in three years for him, uh, as he probably nears the end of his career, but who knows. Uh, but yeah, the Mets still staying in first, even with all that happening. Uh, and they also traded Billy McKinney to the Dodgers for minor leaguer Carlos Rincon and some cash. Although again, for the Mets side of the deal, for the Mets side of the deal, not important at all. He was really only playing there because, uh, Nimmo and McNeil and a lot of guys were out for a lot of the season, and now he's not really playing, so there's no real point in having him. They actually traded for him earlier and got him from from Milwaukee after Milwaukee didn't need him anymore. So McKinney has been on three teams this year now, and now probably, I'd I'd like to say, uh, when Mookie Betts gets healthy and Corey Seager is back, and I don't know if the Dodgers will, and even Yoshi Sutsugo is back, I don't know if the Dodgers will keep him either, and he might end up on four teams this season because he might be part of a trade package, but we'll get to the Dodgers more later. Uh, Then you have the Phillies and the Braves, both four games back at 47 and 48. The Braves making a lot of moves, however. Uh, Obviously, Ronald Acuna out for the season has really put a wrench in what this team was planning for, Uh, and really late last night, right after we uh, published our podcast, they acquired Stephen Vogt, a catcher from Arizona, for minor league first baseman Mason Byrne, uh, after also trading Jock Peterson for another minor league first baseman. So obviously they think, well, we have Freddie Freeman signed. What is the use of minor league first baseman? Um, let's get some stuff that we actually need uh, right now. So look, the Braves not really making up ground a lot yet, but I think they're putting themselves in a, as good of a position as they can be in without Acuna for the rest of the season. Then you have the Nationals at 45 and 50, six games back, and then the Marlins 11 games back. Yeah, interesting moves by the Mets. First of all, the, the trade with the Dodgers, if you're looking, if you need starting pitching and you're doing a trade with the pitcher later, why not keep the guy and try to package him in a trade for a pitcher? But I don't know. And then, go, yes, your thoughts? I, I, I just, I think it's more of a, uh, I think it might have been something having to do with minor... He might not have any minor league options left, so it could be something having to do with that. Because they also... I mean, look, they traded a minor league utility man. And also, the Rays don't want someone who only plays in the outfield. They want someone who plays to every position, including pitching and catching. I, I mean, that's what the right. Rays I think, want. I think McKinney, they, were not getting, they had no use for him, and they had to get the best they could, and they were yeah. able to get a pitcher for him. Yeah. And then the Rich Hill trade. You and I, when we were talking, you know, as we do all the time, 
about potential uh, starting pitchers out there that the Dodgers might be able to trade for as a stopgap. We mentioned Rich Hill. He's been with the team. He's kind of an up-and-down guy. He can be look yeah. really good or he can look really bad. Um, and the Mets just need someone to fill the back end of their, rota- of their rotation right now, and I don't think the Dodgers were... I think the Dodgers had some prospects that they figured they'd, they'd be even less up and down than Rich Hill, and they'd be able to have a higher peak, and also you need them for the future. So and I, the, that's why I think that's why he ends up with the Mets, and I think also the Rays are just... It, it's crazy. You don't see a team that's a game back of the division lead trading away... I guess probably their second or third best starter. That's what I was while they have say. their while they have their best starter on the IL, it's just it's only something that the and, Rays would do. And it'll work out brilliantly, and, and yet it still works out all the time. So, so while we're and I was going to get to the flip side of that, but while we're on the East, the interesting thing is coming out of the gates from the All Star break, the Braves with all their troubles, they've managed to what gain, gain a game um, on the Mets and the Phillies, and so they're four games out. They're still in it, still in it. Uh, yeah, and then let's move on to the uh, the NL Central. I almost called it the Milwaukee Brewers, but um, that's about what it is. <laughs> that is pretty much what it is. Yeah, um, the NL Central has the Milwaukee Brewers in the lead at fifty six and forty one, six and a half games ahead of the Cincinnati Reds at forty nine and forty seven, who have a big series against the Cardinals this weekend. Uh, the Cardinals actually in third place, just a half game back of Cincinnati, but seven games back of the Brewers. Uh, at 49 and 48. Then you have the Cubs at 47 and 50, who are nine games back, and Pittsburgh at 36 and 60, 19 and a half games back. You wonder what the Cubs are doing. It's very, very hard to tell because they trade Jock Peterson, and by the way, most of our discussions will be centered around the trade deadline, especially because next weekend, actually next Friday, I think, is the trade deadline or next Saturday. So I'm pretty sure it's the end of the month or it's the 30th. But I think that we will be talking a lot about this stuff, especially because next week there will be a lot of trades. That yeah, will be mainly what we're talking about. So uh, the re- we're trying to get through this stuff right now and then maybe put our little speculations down right now so that by the time it gets around to next week and all the trades have been made, we can talk about what we think about them. But I don't know. What do you think the Cubs are going to do? Because I honestly think they their series against the Cardinals and the fact that they can't beat the Diamondbacks. They can't sweep the... I mean, look, this team probably saw... Look, we have six games against the Diamondbacks. Then we have... And we have three against the Cardinals in our next nine games. That probably decides their approach. What have they done so far in those games? They lost the series to the Diamondbacks and they lost the series to the Cardinals. They're now playing the Diamondbacks again. How, how can you say that this team is going to be is going to be a contender? You just can't. No, I think they so, realize they're not making the postseason because they have to win their division. They're not going to be a wild card, and they said that they're not. Gonna yeah, be- and I was about to say, and the other thing is, if you look at it, forty-seven and fifty, you're you're competitive in the East and the Central, but forty-seven and fifty is not going to get you anywhere near the Padres, who are in in currently in possession of the second wild card spot at fifty-seven and forty-two. It's even hard. The, the Padres are above. Both other division leaders, even as the third wild card. So if you're in the East and the Central, you're winning your division or out of the playoffs. And I think the Cubs have decided they're sellers and they're out. I I think so too, and I I just wonder what the what the extent is to which that they're going to be trading everybody. You know, it might be might be just Bryant, might be just Baez, might be just Rizzo, might just try to get an extension. You know, it it, it really depends, and it'll be they're probably the most interesting team to watch when it comes to trades. I have one prediction that when we're at Wrigley Field on August eighth, the team is not going to look the same. As I agree today. with that. Uh, the other thing is, what great time to be a Milwaukee sports fan. We'll get to this. But are, I wonder, like, are the Brewers even getting any attention? But we'll get to that. Maybe it's their time to shine. 
Yeah, uh, and then let's move on to the NL West, where the San Francisco Giants took three of four from the Dodgers, now 61 and 35, three games ahead of the Dodgers, who are 59 and 39. Uh, then you have the San Diego Padres, five and a half back of the Giants, still two and a half back of the Dodgers, even though the Dodgers lose three of four, which is not exactly ideal for them. Uh, and they're at 57 and 42. I mentioned that before also. Then you have the Rockies at 42 and 54, 19 games back. Honestly, surprisingly competitive. I, I, like, they're not going to be winning series off of anybody, but the fact that they have managed to avoid sweeps a lot against the Rock, against the Giants and the Dodgers, well, maybe not the Giants as much, but the Dodgers and at least the Padres too, I've noticed, like, that's pretty good for them, and I think going forward, you're going to trade your pieces, you're going to trade Trevor Story, maybe even John Gray, but at the same time, if, that, if you're just taking those two out and you can bring some prospects up and get something in return and maybe make one signing or two, you can be good in the future. You can you can start to rebuild. I mean, they're not obviously going to be winning this division anytime soon, which is probably one of the reasons why they want to take it slow. But yeah, so I think they're, they're the Rockies are in a better position than I thought they were. The team in the worst position in the league by far is the, is the Arizona Diamondbacks. Not only do they have the worst record, and they're 32 back of the San Francisco Giants at 30 and 68, but they also weren't supposed to be the worst team in the league. If you're Baltimore, if you're Texas, this is expected. If you're Arizona, you should not be this bad. They were not aiming to be this bad. They were aiming to be a team that would stay competitive and probably be probably be in fourth behind the Padres, Dodgers, and Giants, but probably even say that they're giving the third-place team a run for their money. Uh, and they are not doing anything near that. They're not even giving the Rockies a run for their money at fourth. Yeah, I'm, there's, what's there to say about the Diamondbacks? I mean, they've just gone downhill very quickly. Some key pieces are gone, and I think they what they got in, in return hasn't materialized for them. Um the Rockies, though, you say the Rockies are doing well. It's because they've been playing at home. They've still yeah, only won nine games on the road all year. They're nine and thirty-four, nine and thirty-four on the road. Yeah, and the next the next worst team on the road is uh, is Arizona. Who had and that then, twenty-some odd game road right, losing streak? Right. And the Rockies, frankly, the only reason why they didn't sweep the Dodgers was the Dodgers gifted them a game with the drop pop up. Didn't get swept. Didn't get swept. Yeah. But let's go back to the Dodgers-Giants. Yeah, I would just like to say, look, that series was very, very close. Uh, you had blown saves in three of the games on both on either end. And by the way, you end up in that series. Every single outcome of games was decide was possible other than the Dodgers sweeping the Giants. If you want to look at the close games that could have gone either way, the Giants had a one-run lead going into the ninth that, in one game. Uh, and the Dodgers won that game. The Dodgers had two had two leads going into the ninth inning, one of one run, I think, and one of two runs, and then they lost both of those games. So the Dodgers could have just as easily taken three out of four, just as easily as the Giants did. Could have really easily been a, sl- been a, uh, a series split. And then also, if the Giants don't give up that one game, that's a sweep. So... Overall, by the way, on the season now, the Dodgers are 7-6 and six against the Giants, and there's a three-game difference in the standings, even though the Dodgers hold the season seriously by one game, which just tells you something's going wrong somewhere else, and I think it's and I think it comes from the Giants being decent against San Diego and the Dodgers absolutely getting killed by them. I think that'll change later, and I think mostly it was because every single time the Dodgers play the Padres, it seems to be... At the beginning of the Dodgers getting injured, where it's like they're not yet adjusted to who they have out, uh, but they're also but they're also banged up. It's not like right now where 
they kind of know, okay, Mookie's day-to-day, Muncy's having a baby, so we don't know when he's going to suddenly leave the team. But I feel like when they were playing San Diego, it was always at bad times. But I think later in the year, it could be at better times, and the series might flip on its head. But again, uh, I said it on the last podcast, I had a feeling that that series wasn't going to split between the Dodgers and the Giants. And really, it came as close as it could (laughs) have. Without splitting. Um, but I guess I was right in the end. But yeah, I yeah. think as baseball fans, we all want to see the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Padres healthy down the home stretch and really see what it looks like when both all those teams are at full strength. And the Dodgers and the Giants go back at it in San Francisco literally next week. So another series that, by the way, if the Dodgers sweep and both teams are even in their next three games beforehand, now the Dodgers are tied for first place just as, just as quick as that. So... This series could shift a lot. There's actually a lot more games left in the series than you'd think there would be. Uh, and then also there's just overall, there's 60 games left in the season for everybody. The season is nowhere near over. Correct. So well, let's uh, move on to the American League. Yep. In the American League East that we will start in, we have the Boston Red Sox in first at 59-38. and 38. Uh, they, they are, I mean, look, they're really, really good. <laughs> Uh, they they lost a series surprisingly last week to the Yankees uh, while the Yankees were really banged up. And if you looked at their lineup, it was five guys who you knew on the roster and four guys who you said, so that's who they brought up to replace Aaron Judge when he went out with COVID. Got it. Uh, and then now you have the Tampa Bay Rays in second, one game back at 58 and 38. And as we said, trading trading crazily, although we'll, we'll get to, I'll, I'll talk about another trade once I go through the standings. Uh, the, the the Yankees are eight games back at 50 and 45. Then you have the Blue Jays at eight and a half games back at 48 and 44. And then the Baltimore Orioles at 31 and 64, 27 games back. The worst team in this division, although somehow still not the worst team in baseball. I'm circling back to the Rays now. Yes, the Rays did give up a major, a major, major pitcher. However, they got the best DH in the game this week at the same time. They traded for Nelson Cruz and minor leaguer Calvin, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Faucher, I'll say. Uh, Probably not. Uh, (laughs) There was no accent on the name. Uh, And then, so they get those guys from the Twins, uh, and then in exchange for minor league right-handers, Joe Ryan and Drew Stoppman. How do the Twins end up getting two players in a deal where where they give up two players and one of the players is Nelson Cruz? The, but the, again, you gotta you, you gotta think the Rays somehow hoodwinked the Twins because that just seems to be what the Rays do when it comes to trades and players. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, they, somebody must there must be something with Minnesota that they really really liked what they saw in scouting these guys in the same way that they wanted certain prospects from the Dodgers when they were involved in the three team three team trade that got the Dodgers Mookie Betts. Look, they they like to <laughs> they butted their in their head in on that one to get some prospects. So look. It's all possible. Um, I don't really know what the Twins are doing, uh, although, although this indicates they're definitely selling. And the next question is, where does Jose Barrios go? And that is why I'm going to go now to the Yankees, who, oh, who needs starting pitching? The Yankees do. What if Jose Barrios goes to the Yankees? That would be something that would shore up their rotation, uh, and it would probably make them a viable contender for a wild card spot. I would say they could overtake the A's if they had a little bit of a better pitching staff, and Barrios would make that staff a lot better. But the other thing is, the Yankees' previous trade target, Tim Locastro, is now out for the season with a torn ACL. Uh, and then, But on the better end, Corey Kluber uh, could be on his way back soon, although, look, 
There are so many pitchers right now that are rehabbing. You have Chris Sale rehabbing. You have Corey Kluber rehabbing. You have Justin Verlander rehabbing. There, I think Shane Bieber has still not pitched in a while. There are a lot of good pitchers who are on their way back, uh, and we'll see if they come back soon. And they can really affect some of these team seasons. And if the Yankees get Corey Kluber back and can trade for someone and probably get an outfielder too, maybe Joey Gallo, then this team could actually be be able to be in the in the playoffs and then... You'll have to see what happens when they play the Rays in the wildcard matchup is probably the best outcome that they're going to get this season. Did you uh, say the Orioles are officially out of it in a prior podcast? I think I did. I think that was the first team. No, that was the first team. The Diamondbacks were the first team that were out of it. I think the the Orioles were the second. Okay, so they're done. We're, we're, yes. We're, maybe yes. we just stop talking about those teams. I mean, it's still worth talking about everybody. You still need to acknowledge okay. that the that the worst teams are the worst. I want to... Because also, what if they go on a run like somebody else that we're about to mention in the AL Central, and then all of a sudden they're in third place and almost in second place behind a team who just changed their name? All right, well, we'll talk about all that. Let's move to the Central. I got another thought on a team that should change their name, but let's go ahead. Uh, the Chicago White Sox in first at 58-38. and 38, uh, Pretty much held that position all season for, for what it feels like, at least. Uh, the Cleveland... It, oh, Guardians, well, okay, not officially yet, but I'm going to call them Cleveland for the rest of the season because now they're transitioning in between names, although I could call them the Cleveland baseball team because that feels like it's more accurate. Um, <laughs> but they, for now, they are the Cleveland Indians. Next season, they will be the Cleveland Guardians. We'll get to that later uh, a lot more, but 48-46, and 46, nine games back. The Detroit Tigers are 7-0 and since the All-Star break. They are now 12 games back at 47-51. and 51. Uh, that is ridiculous. That means that they are really, I mean, if you look at some of the teams in the league that are near them in record, the Atlanta Braves are 47 and 48 and the Tigers are 47 and 51. The Braves should be embarrassed that they're even close to the Tigers. And by the way, the Indians should be embarrassed that they're even close to the Tigers. The Tigers 12 games back in the division, only three back of the Indians. Obviously, I, unless they continue this exact pace for the rest of the season, like going 60-0, they're not going to make a playoff right spot. But I don't think they're going to get a playoff spot just because, like we said, the Yankees are going to trade to get better. Uh, the A's are going to probably make some moves to get better and are already super far ahead at 56-42. and 42. It's not like they're going to catch any of those teams, most likely. But at the same time, the Tigers weren't trying to be good this season. They're almost too good this season. Um but look, they got a lot of good prospects coming up, and we'll see what happens with them. However, the Twins, on the flip side, 17 and a half back. How are you five and a half games back of the Tigers after make after making the playoffs as the two seed one year and winning 100 games the year before? That's a little ridiculous. That's the Twins right now, 41 and 56. And then you have the Royals, 18, backs, 18 games back, 39 and 55. But as we said... The Twins traded Nelson Cruz away, which indicates that they're probably going to be moving a few more people. We'll see who other teams want, because I think there are definitely, I think Cruz and Barrios were the two biggest guys, but they have some relievers they could maybe give up. They have some other infielders that they can maybe give up. So there's a lot of variability in terms of who they can trade and who they might trade, but they will definitely be sellers at the deadline, especially in fourth place behind the Tigers. Yeah, Twins and Tigers... Franchises headed in different directions. Franchises, franchises that uh, switched, that swapped managers. Right, uh, Ron Gardenhire at one point left the Twins, went to the Tigers. Headed in opposite directions. Tigers, the hottest team in baseball. We said it before. Break up the Tigers. Although they do have a key injury to their pitching staff. So yeah, uh, and then the also the other thing that you have to mention is that who is in first place in the AL East after being in last? It's the Red Sox. 
what happened in between the year? They got Alex Cora back. What did the Tigers do this offseason? They hired A.J. Hinch. So as much as you might hate the, the managers for being a part of a cheating culture, there's no denying. The Tigers are way overachieving, and the Red Sox should not be eight games ahead of the Yankees. Like, no matter how you slice it and no matter how injured the Yankees are, I don't care what excuses there are. I would say, look, the Dodgers are three games back. That's a reasonable margin. Uh, And they've been really, really injured. And in comparison to San Francisco, not even close. The Red Sox were last place last year. And they're eight games up. What does that tell you about their managers? I mean, it just goes to show you a good manager can really go a long way in winning. And a bad one can kill a team. Yeah. Uh, well, you got anything else for the Central before we move on to the West? No? All right, let's move on to the West. In the ALS, speaking of uh, A.J. Hinch and cheating, the Houston Astros in first at 58-39. and 39. By the way, all the division leaders at really close records to each other, so it'll be interesting. We probably won't know the playoff matchups until the last ga- until the last few games, probably, uh, even though we'll know who's in, most likely. But anyway, so there's them at 58 and 30, 39. Then you have the A's, as I've talked about before, two and a half back at, fi- at 56 and 42. The Mariners, seven back at 51 and 46. The A's at 40, uh, the Angels, sorry, at 47 and 48, 10 games back. And then the Rangers, 35 and 62, 23 games back. If I haven't eliminated them already, I'll eliminate them too. That but, was going to be my question. You uh, my mind. Yeah, but... Look, this division is the really interesting one because it's the non-interesting one. The A's don't like to spend a lot of money, and the Astros pretty much have a complete roster. So I don't think you're going to see much trading happening out of this division. And the other thing is, what do the Mariners do? They're probably the single, the most uh, intriguing team singularly, but at the same time, they could just end up not doing anything. I think that's uh, and I don't think they're going to buy. I think that'd be stupid, and I think they know Unless that. there's a fire sale for a piece they really need. That's right, really but at the same time, they're not going to sell because they're too good and they're too ahead of their... I mean, look, they brought up their top prospect, who's the top prospect in baseball. He went 0 for 39, and they're five games above 500. That's all you need to know about the Mariners. They're ahead of schedule for where they want to be. They'll bring, they'll bring Kelnick up again next year. Uh, they have a great starter right now who's, I've, I'm blanking on his name, but he's been really good. I think his name is Gilbert, something Gilbert. He's been really, really good for them as a rookie. Uh, and look, they just have a lot of pieces, and all their pieces are pretty, pretty young. Uh, and the ones that aren't are signed for a while, like Kyle Seeger, or, I mean, people have inquired about Mitch Hanniger apparently, probably the Yankees because they're looking for outfielders, and they have said they want something ridiculous for him. So that just gives you the indication if they're looking for huge packages for those types of guys, they're probably not giving, not going to be giving up so easily. Yeah. And as we talk about this, uh, we talked about how good the Tigers were part of that's they played the Rangers. So maybe we take that seven game winning streak with a grain of salt. All right. Well, I think that uh, will wrap up our MLB coverage for this week. Now let's turn our attention to the conclusion of the NBA finals. In game six of the NBA finals, Milwaukee wins 105 to 98. Uh, the game was tied going into the fourth quarter, but Milwaukee outscores Phoenix 28-21 to in the fourth with the help of 13 points from an eventual finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, on 4-5 shooting and 5-6 of six from the free throw line. Really made you eat, eat your words about his free throw shooting, but I'll keep going. It wasn't going. just me, it was everybody. He even talked about his post-game press conference. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep going on with that one, and I have something about that later. Um... 
So Milwaukee beats Phoenix in six games to capture the franchise's first title since 1971, a 50-year title drought. Although I'd rather have a title drought than have no title at all, and definitely an ended title drought. So still still a pretty good franchise that Milwaukee's got there. Uh, but let's talk about the game itself now. Middleton only had 17. Lopez had 10 and 8 rebounds. Uh, Holiday had 12 points, 11 assists, and 9 rebounds, but on 4 of 19 shooting, which... He's done a lot this series. But Bobby Portis pitched him within a really important 16 points off the bench on 6 of 10 shooting. So he wasn't hogging the shooting, and he was being very, very positive also on the defensive end. And how, how, what, what better for a home court advantage than having a bunch of fans screaming, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. There's nothing that, that could have made Milwaukee better. Uh, and look, he also, it's not like he was scoring zero points. It's not like when Taco Fall comes into the game at the end of the game for the Celtics. This is a guy making a big impact in the game. So, really important what Bobby Portis did. Uh, and then Phoenix's most important players were okay, but without 40 points from Booker, which he did three times in this finals, by the way, who would have been probably the finals MVP if Phoenix had won, uh, the, the game tilted in the Bucks' favor. Chris Paul had 26 points on 11 of 19 shooting and 5 assists. Devin Booker played 46 minutes, scoring 19 on 8 of 22 shooting, probably some tired legs, and was 0 for 7 from 3, probably some tired legs. Jay Crowder pitched in with 15 points and 13 rebounds, but on 4 of 11 shooting and 2 of 9 from 3, so not very efficient. Ayton had 12 and 6, but on 4 of 12 shooting, which is really bad for DeAndre Ayton because he's not shooting any threes, no one on the Suns did enough to win this game, in my opinion. Uh, And then also, this wasn't a clean game by other teams. Uh, you have the teams combining for 34 turnovers. Milwaukee with 19, even though they win. Although Milwaukee out-rebounds Phoenix by 16, per, by 16, which is a big factor in this game. Uh, both teams shoot under 24% from three. Phoenix shooting 24, Milwaukee shooting 22.2. From the field, Milwaukee shoots 45.1, and Phoenix, shorts 40, and Phoenix shoots 44.2. By the way, Take Chris Paul out from that and take Giannis out from that and see that percentage because that percentage is ugly. Both teams were either they were either tight or tired or both. Yeah, I, I think they were all both and they were also really really nervous and I think That's even tight, yeah. and even I mean but they they were tight and they were nervous they were a little bit of both but uh, but let's move on from the overall team because who did I skip over in that whole in that whole talk the Finals MVP let's talk about Giannis he had uh, on uh, while the game wasn't clean. He had a very clean 50 points on 16 of 25 shooting and 17 of 19 from the free throw line. And by the way, he actually missed his last free throw, which meant absolutely nothing. So really 17 of 18. Also with 14 rebounds, almost the differential between Milwaukee and Phoenix, just goes to tell you something, and five blocks to go with it. He ended the finals averaging 35.2 points per game, 13.2 rebounds, and five assists to win a very, very, very well-deserved Finals MVP. He also led all playoffs players overall in points and rebounds, while Drew Holiday led the playoffs in assists. He also became the third player in NBA history to win the MVP, the regular league MVP, I should say, the Defensive Player of the Year, and a Finals MVP. Uh, Look, it's just ridiculous for Giannis. And by the way, going back to the beginning, let's talk about the two players who got these teams here. Giannis was picked 15th overall in 2013. Booker was picked 13th overall in 2015. Just goes to show you, you don't need to pick number one overall to get a st- to get a superstar. Other than Carl Anthony Towns at number one, I looked through that draft, 12 teams missed out on Booker. There, none of the 12 players that were picked ahead of him, other than Cat, have had better careers. 
Uh, and obviously, nobody has a better career than a two-time MVP So in a draft class. So Giannis, 14 teams missed out on by not picking him. And the, I think the saddest one of all, the Jazz picked Shabazz Muhammad at number 14, one pick before Giannis. Can you imagine if the Utah Jazz had Giannis on oh their goodness. team and they had two defensive player of the years with Giannis and Rudy Gobert and they also still had, because by the way, let, let's face it, Giannis at the beginning of his career was not that great nor was Milwaukee. So look, they would have had Donovan Mitchell. They probably still would have maybe, I mean, maybe you say they don't get Mike Conley because Giannis re-signs eventually after being an MVP, but I would rather have Donovan Mitchell my, uh <laughs> And Giannis, then Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. But anyway, a big missed opportunity for the Jazz, but that's so far in the future, and in the past, I should say, and that's hindsight. But again, congratulations to Milwaukee for winning their second title in franchise history. This was truly a great title run. Yeah, and con- congratulations to them, too, because this game, the pressure, we talked about it, the pressure was on them. They did not want to go back for Game 7. They jumped out to an early lead. They were up by 13 points at the end of the first quarter, and then they only scored four points in the next eight minutes to let Phoenix get back into the game. And a lot of teams, especially inexperienced teams at home like that, will crumble. They didn't. They, I mean, Phoenix came back all the way to tie it up, based 33-33, based on them only scoring those four points in the first eight minutes of the second quarter. Um, and they, they sucked it up, and Giannis just really took took the game over in all all respects. I think the free-throw shootings made it a lot easier when he doesn't have an arena full of crazies chanting and counting and screaming and all that kind of stuff. But good for him. He stepped up and he shut people like me up. And he also shut Chris Paul up because I was going to bring this up as soon as you mentioned free throw shooting again. Chris Paul on Giannis's free throws after game five. Here's a quote for you. Everybody's out there anticipating a miss. Hell, even he is. Giannis, after winning the final, says, people told me I can't make free throws. I made my free throws tonight and I'm a freaking champion. So what do you have to say about Giannis? Also, by the way, uh, on the in the Bucks championship parade on a float, he... Uh, mocked the whole free throw routine thing and held a ball in his hands in his free throw motion for 20 seconds before shooting it into a crowd of people with the trophies next to him. So look, he can do whatever the heck he wants at this point because when you win the title, as Kendrick Perkins said about that moment, you want to clown and troll on every single person and tell all the haters and shove it right back in their face because look, they can't say anything to you. You're the champion. By the way, also notable thing, Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis have both won titles their first seasons not being in New Orleans. Just saying. Well, <laughs> so Zion, you might want to leave in the future. Just yeah, saying. Let's, we'll see if that's a trifecta. Hopefully for New Orleans fans, it isn't. Yeah, I appreciate Giannis's. It's almost it's very self-deprecating. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Laughs. He does fun. I, I, it's very endearing. So. He's a very fun. He's a very fun star, and definitely does not take himself too seriously. Exactly, and uh, hopefully he got paid a lot by Chick Fil A. Uh, yeah, they actually they actually did come out with a 50-50 drink now where they have half Sprite and half lemonade. So, But does it come with 50 of their chicken nuggets? I don't, It might, but anyway, yes. Milwaukee Giannis, locations only. It, the, the drink is at Milwaukee locations that's, only. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, well, that wraps up our look back at the NBA Finals. Uh, let's take a look at some more random, assorted, important news in the world of sports. The opening ceremonies of the Olympics were this morning, although many events had already started. Uh, I would say, look, really quickly, I would like to say, need, they need to add a new Olympic event. Uh, well, I think you can get to that one in a second, because I think it was your favorite thing of the opening ceremonies. But is it just me, or would you rather watch all the events that you don't watch professionally in America in the Olympics? Like, I would never go to a track meet or watch a swim meet. But 
and I love watching basketball games, but I don't watch Olympic basketball. I don't watch Olympic soccer. I don't watch Olympic tennis. I watch Wimbledon. I watch the NBA finals. I watch the Euros, but I love watching Olympic swimming. Olympic track is it? Is it just me, or do you no, just watch the random the, sports? Because the Olympics, whether it's summer or winter, I tend to watch this. It's the one time every four years, whether it's summer or Olympics, that I focus on these, you know, obscure quote, sports. Uh, quote Olympic sports. Some of them very obscure. I don't, I yeah. don't watch the biathlon or whatever right. we were talking about right. the other day. But no, or the river true. swim that they did in London a few years ago, which I remember. Yeah. I think it was a ten-kilometer yes, swim. The one time yeah. I watched the decathlon, or all, you yeah. Know, or I'll maybe, or maybe field hockey. Uh, the, the, the baseball, it's just, it's not as interesting. The sports it, we normally watch, the professional sports are much more competitive. And so also when you have something like the X Games every year in, in for the Winter Olympics too, obviously a little bit off topic, but when you have something like that, they have all those events there. Why would you need to watch them at the Olympics when you've already seen the guys compete against each other? And in the NBA, you do see people from different countries competing against each other, and you kind of know that even if the U.S. doesn't win the gold, we have the best players. It's just that half of them aren't playing. But I want you to get to your little favorite thing of the opening ceremonies that we both agree should be an event, and some other people I've talked to have agreed, probably takes more talent than half the events in the Olympics. Well, the uh, the Olympic uh, miming, the team miming of the, uh, the, the the logos of the various sports? Yes. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah. Now, creative, funny. I mean, they, they did it with the sense of humor. It's almost like an Avengers movie. Yeah, so what, what we're talking about here is they did a little um, a little bit of a of a, 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 a reflection on the origination of pictograms for Olympics to break the language barrier, which started in Tokyo in 1964, I believe, maybe 1962. Might, I might be getting the, the years wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it's 1964 uh, in Tokyo. So they were talking about that stuff, and then as they gave that little history lesson on the pictograms for the events, uh, they had two. They had two or three people come out and do the poses that are made in the events, which don't really make much sense because half of them have disjointed legs and stuff. But they fixed that with with some backgrounds and and a person wearing white, and then with some blue to do the dots for swimming and rowing. You had to see it to understand it. If but you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Very yeah, creative. Some it was of, very creative. Some of the, and, and they did a little freeze frame when the person got in the right position to, yeah. to mimic the pictogram. Very creative. Sometimes they had to have turn the camera upside down yeah. because the way like diving where the person's sort of upside down. They did some of them with their fingers where the logos it required. A little bit of fingers. is very creative. The other thing I loved, and so I do like, in addition to the sports you don't normally watch, I usually do like the opening and closing ceremonies because there's usually something unique or creative. So there was that this year that was entertaining. Uh, the drones in the sky were very cool. Uh, and let's move on from this one. Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton, speaking of the Olympics, will be all available for Team USA's Olympic opener on Sunday against France. After what will be the world's most awkward 12-hour plane flight with three people on it of all time. I don't think it gets any more awkward than a dude who just lost the finals and really was the only reason why his team had a chance against two dudes who are probably going to be hung over from a championship parade and they're on the same plane going to play on the same team right after. Uh, it's going to be pretty awkward. Yeah, 12-hour flight and what's the time change? It's also a 15-hour time change, yes. Like 20, it was 27 hours, we think? Yeah. That they're going to lose? Yeah. Yeah, well, let's just hope they get through their first couple games unscathed because I don't think those guys are going to be much help. I mean, I think they will be. I mean, probably, actually, they're probably in the best playing shape because they weren't playing exhibitions where they weren't 
trying very hard. They were playing very intense yeah, games. Yeah, they didn't sleep. They didn't sleep the whole time. And I was about to say, they probably won't be doing much. And by the way, their minutes will probably be limited in the first game because it's a group stage game. And then once you get on later, then they're going to be the ones with the freshest legs. And they probably need to be playing there because the team needs some defense and some ball handling. Drew Holiday's got that. Uh, but let's move on from that. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Cleveland's baseball franchise is changing its name from the Indians to the Guardians. I don't like the name necessarily, but they did skip over being the, the phase of being called the Cleveland baseball team, unlike Washington, who have now failed to have a name for two years. So, but I mean, look, the change had to be made, but I also don't think they shouldn't, they should have changed that, uh, that the regular C logo. I, I don't think they needed to do that. And the new C looks kind of goofy. Uh, it just, everything's a little bit goofy about it. And by the yeah. way, it seems like they cheaped out with a name that also ended in Ian so that the jersey didn't have to change that much. <laughs> the other thing they could have done, they could have kept the C for Cleveland and they could have added one little line to it and made it a G, kept the consistent font. I don't... The, yeah, exactly. They could have done a lot of different things Maybe to make it really, really simple. And, and also, yeah, what is the point of changing the logo if you don't change it from a C to a G and you're just going to leave it as a C in a different font? For Cleveland, it's, that's, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't make, it any, make sense. any sense. So uh, can I throw one thing out here? The other yes. team that I think needs a name change, Tampa Bay Rays. Um, they should change their name to the Magicians because somehow they magically <laughs> trade away all these players. I mean, Blake Snell is gone from last year's team. They're trading starting pitch, and they still are at the top of the division. And by the way, a, a common name suggestion, I'm not good with this. And by the way, apparently Washington's not good with it either because they haven't had a name for two years now. Um, a lot of people were saying that they should that they should have capitalized on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and just called themselves the Cleveland Rockers. And by the way, the name would be a similar length, so it would look kind of the same on the jersey. You change the font, and then you keep the C logo, and everything is fine. Yeah, or maybe even copy the Rockies a little bit with I, the CR. I, you and I didn't talk about that, but it was actually a thought that, that entered yeah. my head. Maybe we heard the same thing, but it makes sense. Yeah. All right, other 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 name-related news? Yes. Uh, on the other hand of, of names of sports teams, the NHL expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken is over. By the way, my favorite name in all of sports, and I probably won't watch a single game of this team next year, but I don't care because that is a really, really good name. Uh, the Kraken... Good name, Cleveland. Now have a roster and can also negotiate with players in free agency. They have the fourth most cap space in the NHL, so they should be able to be pretty competitive uh, immediately. Also, when you look at the fact that each team can only protect eight players in the expansion draft, that's not many, and they're getting a lot of, uh, I believe they call them second-line guys, which is, I think if you build a team of all second-line guys, you should be okay. Uh, And then also get a few free agents that probably will be pretty good. They're not. Maybe they're not going to do what Vegas did because Vegas had built a very, very good team very, very quickly and also had the chips fall into their favor with uh, the goalie that they got. Obviously, Mark Andre Fleury. But in the end, and by the way, the Seattle did miss an opportunity because they could have gotten Carey Price, who That's was what on. I was saying the Kraken had the chance to grab a goalie. Yeah, who was on Montreal? But you know, we'll have to see what they do. Uh, but anyway, I would like to say though, mystical creature that doesn't that doesn't even have a confirmed existence. And its relation to Seattle is completely non-existent. How does Cleveland end up with Guardians? Like, wh- what? What are you guarding? What's there to guard in Cleveland? It, Galaxy? It, well, you know, a lot of people were talking about how Disney's about to sue Cleveland, but that's a separate that's a separate <laughs> story. But look, Cleveland should have found something better. And by the way, we'll see what Washington does next year. But I'm assuming that they're taking this long because they want to get something really, really good. And they want, and they're taking a lot of time so they can get something good with a new logo and maybe a little bit of a changed color scheme and a better and a better font and everything. 
that's the ideal thing. Maybe this is a little bit rushed, and that's why they come up with Guardians, and again, half the name is still the same, uh, and then you're just changing a little bit of the font, a little bit of the logo, and a little bit of the font on the jersey. So look, they're probably, they probably rushed it a little too much, but that's a different discussion. Now let's move on to something even funnier than that. Um, I feel bad for Kevin Durant for the first time in a very, very long time. The entire U.S. team is completely trolling him right now, and he's not really playing along if you've watched him. First, Bam Adebayo, in practice, violated the only unwritten rule in basketball that's ever existed, unlike baseball's, uh, what, a million and 200,000 of them? Uh, the only rule in basketball is that when somebody is making their shots in practice, or when somebody makes a shot in practice, you do not take the ball that they just shot with. Bam Adebayo did that, then proceeded to try to blame it on Dame Lillard, which was a very bad move, and Kevin Durant was not having it. He made him switch the ball back. It was a whole 45-second thing. KD also tweeted and said that he was being disrespectful. Uh, look, USA team, I'm not going to read into this too much. I don't know if he's joking or not because he's really a straight-faced kind of a guy. You can't really tell him. But if this is like an actual team chemistry issue, this team isn't going anywhere, especially after their exhibition performances. On the other hand, this one even funnier, the basketball team got the, got the whole group of Team USA, and not just Team USA basketball. I'm talking Team USA as in every single Olympian that's from America at to in Tokyo to sing happy birthday to Kevin Durant today before opening ceremonies. So what's the problem with singing happy birthday to Kevin Durant? He was born on September 29th. It is not his birthday. And he was really, really, really not having that one either. Even, he even reacted a little bit harsher than... Bam stealing his ball, which is pretty surprising because that's an even bigger uh, problem, but also kind of funny because JaVale McGee is the one who ended up recording it, posting it on social media as Draymond Green is walking in front of him and clowning him, and we all know that there's some history there between Draymond Green and KD, and also, by the way, JaVale McGee was on some of those Warriors teams too, so yeah, I feel bad for Kevin Durant for the first time in a while, but at the same time, it is pretty funny, and he's a pretty easy target to troll because he really... He doesn't get upset, but he looks like he's going to get upset, so you can kind of push his buttons a little bit, and then it's really, really funny for everybody else, but not him, unfortunately. But also, how did the whole of Team USA join in on singing Happy Birthday Somebody to Kevin Durant? Had a well-orchestrated practical joke. Hey, it's Kevin Durant's birthday. Let's sing to him. Someone did a really good job, and I think you're right. This is either going to be a situation where the team fractures and because their star, their best player is angry at them. And by the way, we don't really, bombing. we don't know what's we, going on. By the way, we don't really know what's going on in Kevin Durant's head either because he's a very mysterious kind of a person. And look, remember, he said there's a, remember, reporters were saying that there was a 99% chance he'd stay with the Oklahoma City Thunder and the very next morning he's on the Warriors with Max Deal. So what does that tell you about him? He's very unpredictable. Uh, so look, we don't know what's going on with Kevin Durant. Um, Maybe, maybe Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton can show Kevin Durant what a real beef looks like, i.e. beating each other in a championship game, and then he'll start to calm down a little bit, and then the team might play better because they have them there instead of some other players. Uh, but we'll have to see what happens in all the Olympics and, and especially the basketball team later on. Yep, and if anything else pops up, we will be sure to include it in the next installment of Random Assorted Important News in the World of Sports. But that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, July 26th, where we will do a quick recap of the entire NBA season and see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB Power Rankings, on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, 
at number24.com. Thank you for listening.